Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. going guys come on I'm just kidding I'm kidding I'm kidding kidding. how's everybody doing am I gonna sit down Mm, I don't know we'll see maybe wow it's dark out there (laughs) these lights Um, man I am super excited for today the Lord is here he's so good Um, I wanted to uh, start with a couple of uh, Encouraging words, a couple of words for a couple of people that the Lord highlighted to me. Um, Ashley, would you stand up? Ashley, you, yes, the amazing Ashley. Um, Man, I just felt the Father's delight over you. Um, (laughs) Man, you you literally bring so much delight to his heart. He is so pleased with you, and his eyes are literally locked on you. Um, I felt him saying, um, Ashley, if you never did a single thing for me ever again, like you would still fill my heart with delight. And yet he said, but I want to do everything with you, Ashley. <laughs> Let's do all the things. <laughs> and so we just want to bless you with that. Uh, everybody give it up for Ashley. She's amazing. Um, and then also, Jesse, would you stand up, bro? Man, the man on the bass today, with the heavenly bass sounds. Um, man, you were highlighted to me from the moment I walked through the door today. Um, today was Jesse's first time on the team, so give it up for him. Um, but I felt, um, I literally saw like your history with the Lord played um, like in song form, you know, like cartoons where you saw like songs traveling through the air, like notes and stuff like that. That's literally like what your history uh, with the Lord looks like. And in the cartoons, like every wherever the music went, people like turned and paid attention to it. Um, and so that's the type of impact that the Lord has for your life based on your history with him. And then um, I felt like for you and your bride, Nikki, hi. Um, for both of you guys, uh, the Lord handed you keys. And these weren't like, like rinky-dinky little keys. These were like giant keys. And he was saying, big keys open big doors. Um, and I felt like with that, he's giving you green lights to open things up and places up in you and through you uh, in this season. So bless you with that. You guys are amazing. Yeah, give it up for them. I think I am going to sit down. Why not? Uh, super excited to share with you guys. Let's, let's dive right in, should we? Let's just go. Let's go. Um, if, you, if you have a Bibles, you're free to follow along. You, we'll have the scriptures up on the screen for you. Um, and I have quite a few scriptures for you today because the Bible is good, right? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> 
Um, let's start with Psalms 91. Let's. And, and it, it, it's an amazing psalm. We're, we all know it. We've all heard it. It's one of you know, many people's f absolute favorite. Uh, but I want to read you the first couple of uh, verses out of the psalm. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In, in these two verses along, there's four Hebrew names for God. You can leave that up for a second. Most High, Almighty, Lord, and my God. And then through the rest of the psalm, the, the writer goes on about all these promises and the security of those who trust in the Lord. And you can go back and read the whole thing. But I want, I want, I want us to focus our attention on the last few verses of this uh, chapter. So Psalms 91, 14 to 16, it says, Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I would set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Good stuff. And in both verses, um, so verses 15 and 16 are basically the how of verse 14. So it's like God is saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. He's going to call upon me. And then he gives basically a, a, a detailed explanation on how the Lord takes care of those who trust in him, those who are in trouble. Um, anybody dealing with trouble today? Yeah, you can be honest. That's right. Because um, there's ama amazing promises in this right here. It says that he will answer. That is a promise. It says that he'll be with you in trouble. It says that he will rescue you. He will honor you. He will satisfy you with a long life. He will allow you to see his salvation, which also means victory in that. Right, I feel like a couple of you need to hear that again. He will answer you. You have to know that he will answer you when you call on him. And you have to know that he is right in the middle of it with you. Like he's shy, not shying away from all of that. And so in verse 14 is where we see the, the what of this whole thing, right? Is the because, therefore. Because he has loved me, meaning like he has set his love on me. He has set his affections. He's attached himself to me. Um, I will deliver him. And it also highlights another thing when it says, because he has known my name. And that word known in the Hebrew is the word yada, which means the experiential knowledge of God. So it's not knowing him, it's knowing him, right? And there's a difference. And in ancient Hebrew um, culture, even 
we practiced kind of this stuff today too. Like names meant something. There was deeper meaning to names. Like there were men's men's names. Names were used to describe character. They're used to describe attributes um, of a person or a thing. Like literally, things did not exist unless until they were named, right? And to this day, like we do that with kids. You know what I mean? Those of you who have kids, like you're very intentional about the names of your kids. We have four girls. All their names have deeper meanings. Um, you want me to tell you what they are? Yeah. All right. So our oldest, Isabella Brooke, means God is my promise or consecrated to God. Ileana Esther, Lily, means bright star. Man, that one's right on. <laughs> Gabby. Gabriela Nadine means God is my strength and hope. And Lucia Nicole, our youngest, means light and victory of the people. Come on. You know, so there's like this deeper meaning that parents look into when they're naming their kids, you know. Um, so please, if you have kids, partner with the Holy Spirit. Ask him what to name your kids. Don't name them something crazy, okay? <laughs> they don't need to be named Moon or <laughs> Apple or <laughs> But the importance here is that his names actually reveal his nature. Um, they reveal what he is like, and they also reveal his promises for us. And so what is he like when it comes to his promises to us? In the, and you can go to the next slide. So in the Old Testament, there's all these Hebrew names for God. And a lot of them we're very familiar with. We use all the time, Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi. Um, we become familiar with these things. But every single one of them speaks of the nature of God and speaks of the promises of God for his kids. Like the fact that he's an everlasting God, right? We, we, we talk about how he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? That is literally one of his names, everlasting God, that he does not change. And so that means that if he's unchanging in his names, he's unchanging in his nature, and he's unchanging in the promises that he has for his kids. And promises are supernatural in nature because they don't have an expiration date. And then also because they can pull us up from our current circumstance into where God has taken us. I talked to you guys about this idea some time ago, but it's like, okay, you have God who's, this is time, and God is standing outside of it, right? So promises that are made in the past and are fulfilled in our future, for God, who's outside of time, those have already been fulfilled. For us, we're still waiting for the fulfillment of those promises, right? But for God, from his perspective, those have already been fulfilled. We also talk a lot about how you and I are seated in heavenly places with him, meaning that we get to have his perspective on his promises. And so every promise in scripture for the believer has been, is, and will be fulfilled. 
And every single one of those promises finds its fulfillment in Jesus. In him, literally all the promises have been, are, and will be fulfilled. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. And so because we are in him, we actually have access to all the fulfilled promises that he's made for us. And promises are not just like our way out of trials. They're not our free meal ticket for the day. Because when he delivers us from something, he's also delivering us into something. Second Peter 1 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and God goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, the promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We just read in Psalms 91 how God doesn't stop at rescuing you, right? Because he's not just delivering you from something, he's delivering you into something. And so then he's also honoring you. He's also giving you an abundant life. He's also allowing you to see his victory in your life. There's a quote that says, faith doesn't demand explanation, it rests on promises. That means that for us to rest on the promises of God, it requires faith. And unbelief is literally a lack of faith that will rob you from the promises of God. And often uh, we have tests and trials and things that um, we encounter on our way to the fulfillment of the promises of God over our lives. And so it's not to test the promise itself. It's not to test the one who's given the promise. It's to test ourselves in the promise. And there's a ton of scriptural references, people who, um, who had to just do that, who were trial, tried and tested through that waiting period of their lives until they saw the promise of God fulfilled for them. And so, don't you have to answer this question, but <laughs> how many trials, how, many, how much trouble does it take for us to question the promises of God over our lives? Like, what does it take for us to, for God to lose our trust in him in the things that he has said? Like, what's the default place that I go in my heart when I face trouble, when I face a trial, when I face a t- test? 
And that's because God is interested in how we store ourselves in those moments. And to me, um, trusting that he makes good on what he says, that he makes good on his words, um, it's not necessarily a maturity issue. Like, we can't trust God with being the savior of our souls, keeping us from eternal damnation, and not trust him to be our healer. Not trust him to be our provider. Not trust him to be our comfort. Not trust him to be our peace. Not trust him to be the Lord of our lives. So trusting actually looks a lot more like a child's posture. Think about it. Who are the most trusting of others? Kids or adults? Kids, right? They trust blindly. That's why we teach them stranger danger. <laughs> they trust a lot. <laughs> They'll trust anybody. And for us, like as you as you got older, as we you know grow into adults, um, people have trust issues because they have been hurt by people whom they've given their trust to. But God, He's a good Father. That's literally one of his names. And not only he's a good father, he's one that is trustworthy to fulfill his promises because he has never broken one of them. And so for you and I, as his sons and daughters, we literally get to be the physical manifestation of the promises of God on the earth. If, if we just think of his promises as a solution to a problem, just a means to an end, that's, that's actually like really narrow-minded. They're not meant to be a destination for us to get to. Like they're meant to be the path that we walk on. They're meant to be the evidence of the one that we walk with. Like, <laughs> if he is... Emmanuel, God with us, the fact that God is with you should be a manifestation of his nature on your life. How many times in the Old Testament we see the enemies of God's people say about Israel or a specific person, we can tell the Lord is with you. We can tell the hand of the Lord is on you. So we're not going to mess with that. <laughs> it happens a lot. Because it was evident to them. They can see it. They can feel it. They can perceive it. And so they had to acknowledge it. Take, for example, Rahab, who was a harlot in Jericho, where Israel was about to go into um, as the promised land, we're about to come in and take over. And so Joshua sends out the spies, and Rahab says to them in Joshua 2, verse 8, Now before they lay down, she came up to them to the roof and said to them, to the men, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us, that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. The fact that the Israelites walked in the promise of God for the promised land became the evidence that the enemy couldn't ignore. And notice how Rahab says, because of you. Like he's talking, she's talking about the spies. She's talking about the people of Israel. Like the evidence of the Lord with them was what they did. Because it was literally in full display for them all to see. And so the promises of God over your life are meant to be that evidence that God is with you. That literally causes your enemies to back off. And if, and if he doesn't back off, the Lord makes a mockery out of him. Ask Goliath. Exactly. He failed to recognize the Lord on David, and he paid dearly for it. But the rest of the guys saw what happened and were like, we're out of here, man. The Lord is on this guy. So let's, let's make that personal. Who, who's your enemy? Is it people? No. no. It's not. Ephesians 6, 6 tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And the enemy will literally do anything to convince you or make you feel that God's, God's promises are not for you. And anything that takes your focus away from your heavenly father who is never changing and who is good on his words, that's his goal. I feel like my water bottle is so far away. And this was, this was a check on my spirit this week. Because I can say I believe all the promises. I can say that I believe that his nature is revealed to me as a provider, as a healer, as my good father. But if I choose to partner with fear, anxiety, hopelessness, etc., whatever it is, you name it, I'm actually not a carrier of his promises. I'm just hoping to be a recipient. His promises are actually meant to be a weapon on our lives. So when the thought of, for example, lack tries to come in, it literally has to back off because it recognizes that I am rooted 
in who he is as my provider. And the evidence of that in my life can be generosity, good stewardship, abundance. And you can apply that to anything that comes against you. And so how many times we ask God for things that he has already promised us, like, God, please be with me. God, protect me. God, provide for me. God, heal me. And these, honestly, these are prayers that have already been answered. And so do we ask those things because that's just what we do? That's the, the Christian thing to do? Because that's the formula to get things <laughs> from God? I, I would venture to say that a lot of Christians still feel like they have to beg for a lot of this stuff. And the issue is not in the asking in and of itself. Like, I'm not telling you not to ask God for things, okay? But we should definitely examine our hearts when we're asking. Are we asking from a place of lack, or are we asking, seeking, and knocking from a secure confidence in the access that we have to his promises as his sons and daughters? Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the promises once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. His promises are prophetic in nature. Remember, we talked about how God is outside of time. So even if we haven't experienced the fulfillment of a promise, the Lord takes a promise that is already fulfilled in our future, and he reveals that to us in his nature to lead us to that place of fulfillment. And sometimes when we have a hard time hearing from God when it comes to his promises, it's because he's already spoken. Like sometimes God will give you space to listen and be reminded of what he has already said. Like he literally wants us to partner with him in his promises, in, his, in the things that he has already declared over us. And so he's not silent because he doesn't care, uh, but he just wants us to remember sometimes. And the amazing thing about it is that God literally does not need a single one of us to fulfill his promises. You realize that, right? Like, he does not need our help. But he chooses to partner with us. He loves when we give our yes to what he said and to his promises. There's a quote by Graham Cook who says, If you can't be separated from the love of God... Your circumstances can't be separated from the promises of God. And we talk about how Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, only said what the Father was saying. And so I want to bring your attention to something that he said 
um, to several people in different circumstances. So I'm going to read you a few passages of scripture. You guys doing good? Yeah. I'm doing great. <laughs> Matthew 9, 2. It says, And they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. So this is a story where the friends lower the paralytic down from the roof of a packed house where Jesus was teaching. Matthew 9, 22. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once, the woman was made well. This is the story of the woman with the issue of blood who touched the hem of his garment and was healed. Matthew 14, 27. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. There's another account of the same story. That's, this is when Jesus shows up to the disciples in the middle of the storm when they're on the boat. Also in Mark 6:50, where it says, For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. One more. Mark 10:49. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man. Uh, saying to him, take courage, stand up, he is calling you. And that's the story of Bartimaeus, who was the blind beggar along the side of the road, who called out to Jesus when he heard he was um, walking by. So what's the common phrase that Jesus uses in all these verses that we just read? Great job, you guys. You're so smart. It's not the fact that it's on red, right? Okay. You're just... Super smart. Take courage. And this was like something that just this whole week has been playing in my head over and over. Take courage. Take courage. Take courage. And so let's look a little bit at the meaning of it. So in the Greek, that means to be of good courage, to be a good cheer. But it also means to have confidence, be bold, be emboldened from within, be emboldened to show courage. I'm going to read you the rest of the definition. It says, it refers to God strengthening the believer, empowering them with bold inner attitude. For the believer showing bold courage means living out the inner confidence that is spirit produced. Spirit produced. Like courage in the natural, we know it to be as a person's ability to do something when they're afraid, right? Like, I don't like heights. So for me to jump off of a plane, there's going to be a whole lot of courage <laughs> I would have to muster for it. And I could gain some courage from the fact that um, there is going to be a parachute. I can gain some courage from the fact that I'm going to jump off with somebody who's trained and has experience in it. Um, I'm not going to jump off a plane, just so everybody knows. <laughs> but all these are external ways for me to gain courage, right? 
But here the scriptures are talking about something different. They're talking about a different, it's talking about a different kind of courage. One that comes from God, that is in us through the Spirit. And that is put on display as bold courage by living out the inner confidence that the Spirit produces. So we're not talking about feelings here. We're talking about something that is birthed from the Spirit in place in, deep inside of us. So in every instance that we just read, Jesus is telling them to take courage in that he was calling something forth in them. Because in all these moments, it would seem like the issues at the surface for all these people are sickness and disease and fear. Like those are the things that were very evident that they were experiencing. But all those things were meant to be replaced with something that comes from within when he's telling them take courage. That bold inner confidence produced by the spirit, not produced by our minds, not produced by emotions, by the spirit. And what I love about all these examples that we just read is that there's not a formula. It's not like in this one specific instance, take courage. And so Jesus did, that, did this for different people in different circumstances. But in every single instance, people responded to the invitation based on something that Jesus said. Like there, was, there was a way that Jesus wanted to reveal himself to each one of these people in each one of these circumstances. Let's think about that real quick. So in both with the, um, the paralytic and the lady with the issue, issue of blood, he, Jesus addresses them as a father would. Let me read it to you again, Matthew 9, 2. He told the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins have been forgiven. He tells the woman with the issue of blood, daughter, take courage, your faith has made you well. So this is actually an invitation from a father to his, to his kids, not from a master to his slaves. This remind me, reminded me when I, um, was teaching my girls how to ride a bike, like the first few times I was teaching them how to ride a bike. I didn't like, you know, you stand next to them, you grab a hold of the seat, but I didn't say, be courageous. <laughs> you know? No, instead, I ran alongside them, holding on to them, as I'm telling them, you can do this. And that's the type of invitation that Jesus was giving those guys right here. In both accounts, when Jesus shows up to the disciples on the water, he tells them, take courage, it is I. 
and often, like literally up until this week, so much of this has gone over my head. <laughs> but I felt the Lord like bring this to life for me. When he says, it is I, that it is I literally means I am. And to a bunch of Hebrew men, I am means something. Because it's the same I am that the Lord used with Moses at the burning bush. This is the same I am that Jesus spoke of when referring to himself. Like Jesus was literally revealing himself as the I am to them in that moment. Like to them, that was even more of a confirmation of the divine nature of Jesus as God. With Bartimaeus, he responds to the call from Jesus, come over here. Come where I am. Bartimaeus knew who Jesus was. A couple of verses earlier, he's the one yelling out, son of David. So when the son of David called him to a different place than where he was, he's telling Bartimaeus, you can't stay there. I have something better for you here. And we read what happens. He takes off his old cloak, jumps up, and runs to Jesus. In Acts 23, 11, it says, but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood by his side and said, this is speaking of Paul, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Here Paul is in jail, being tried. He probably thinks he's going to die. And the Lord shows up to him, the resurrected Christ, standing right next to Paul, telling him, take courage because. And then he goes on to prophesying over Paul in that moment. And like I said, Paul probably thought he was going to die. But the Lord in that moment was like, no, actually, I'm not done with you, Paul. This is not the time to give up. This is not the time to, because this is what I'm going to do with you. And if you read later on in the story, that's exactly what happens. He's taken to um, Rome where he preaches the gospel in the same way that he had to the Jews. And probably the most popular verse when it comes to taking courage is John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. If our approach to the, this verse, these verses, is the idea of courage being something external for us to get a hold of, to endure troubles, to get through things, um, we're actually going to miss out on the Inter, inner, not inter, on the inner boldness and confidence and courage that the Spirit of God has placed in us.
And I felt the Lord all week say this to me as an invitation. And I also believe it is for all of us in this season. And the invitation is simple. Take courage. Take heart. How does he want to reveal himself to you in your circumstance right now? Yeah, but the world is crazy right now. Take courage. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Yeah, but I'm afraid of my, what's going to come. Take courage. Because he is literally the love that casts out all fear. Yeah, but I'm dealing with sickness and disease. Take courage. His name is Healer. Yeah, but I don't know how I'm going to make rent. Take courage. His name is Provider. And I can go on and on. But we get to take courage because he's never broken a promise. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I felt as... as to close our time together, that this is, this is a personal response. Like, the person sitting next to you cannot take courage for you. There's a response that your current circumstance needs that reveals the nature of God for you in your circumstance right now. And nobody else can do that. And I feel so strongly that the Spirit of God, it's, it's a season to call out things in us. He's calling these things out. Because the world needs them. And so, I am not going to tell you how to respond. But I'm going to encourage you to respond, to take heart in whatever that looks like. If you think about Peter, if you think about Bartimaeus, that literally looked like a physical act. They had to do something physically that displayed the posture of their heart. But it didn't look like that way for the rest of them. And so I'm not going to tell you you have to like do this or that or the other. And remember what we talked about with Psalms 91 and that promise that, man, he will answer. He will be with you in your trouble. He will rescue you. He will honor you. He will give you life abundantly. He will show you his victory in your life. And so,
like I said, I'm not going to tell you how to respond. I'm going to give you a few minutes. The front is open if you want to come to the front, <clears throat> but you're free to uh, encounter the Lord where you, where you are. What, it, what matters is not how you respond to, to him. The matter, what it matters is that you do. What it matters is that we realize like, what has already been deposited in us by the Spirit of God that our circumstances, our situations are literally crying out for. We don't need an external solution to the problems that we have. The Spirit of God lives in you. And we are to co-labor with Him in those things. And so we're going to put, uh, we'll put some worship on in the background. Um, and again, you have freedom. You can come to the front if you want to. You can stay in your seat if you want to. You can lay down on an aisle, whatever it is that that looks like. But I'm just going to invite you to respond. I'm going to invite you to take heart. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.